Coach Taku. Making anime your new life coach. Beautiful, radiant, brilliant Coach Taku listeners. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. As always, I am Christina Stathopoulos, the lesser half of our duo here, and I am joined by my better half, the radiant, gorgeous, brilliant coaching mastermind, Mary. And this week, we are diving back into the realm of isekais. But I think what has me most excited is we're jumping into an isekai that I feel like in some ways disrupts the genre a little bit. And so it currently has season two airing. We are going to be chatting mostly about season one on this episode. So spoilers for, I think that would make it the first 21 episodes or so. I believe that's when season one cuts off. And of course, I am talking about the beloved, that time I got reincarnated as a slime. And so if you somehow have not seen this sweet little series, it sees the light, the brief life of uh, Satoru Mikami, who within the first five minutes of the series, you see him, he's kind of like a nobody, like not a very particularly exciting life. He's a man that lives in Japan and he is stabbed on the street and realizes that he is dying. And as he is dying, he has all these regrets about not living a more interesting life and having blood that he had to bleed and a body that had to die. And he hears this voice in his head, which he thinks must be God. And the next thing he knows, he is not in the afterlife, but rather he is a blind, mute, senseless little sweetie of a slime. So imagine Flubber but even more gelatinous <laughs> with the cute little anime eyes. And so Mikami finds himself as a slime with not, not much conscious thought other than let me just consume things. And so as he's consuming things in the cave that he is reborn in, he stumbles across Valdera, who is a super potent, powerful dragon. The dragon's like, hey, little slime, what's up? What's going on? They really hit it off. Uh, Mikami learns his backstory and long story short, Mikami decides to consume this dragon in return for his immense magical abilities. And when Mikami does this, he takes on the new name Ramaru, Ramaru Tempest. And so the story goes on to follow his adventures as a slime who is not all that a slime appears to be. And so I think I'm going to leave our summary there. Anything else you want to add about this series, Mary? Only how adorable this slime is and how ferocious he is when he consumes things. It's like this, this, you know, this like opposition between sweet and adorable and cute. And then this thing that can swallow you up and take all your powers immediately. It's a really cute show. But I'm sure you're wondering how we're going to frame this in a coaching conversation. Because, I mean, what could we possibly talk about? And here's the theme that we're going to be broaching with this one. It's around risk-taking. 
And what does it look like to live live life outside of the rules, outside of how it's supposed to go? And if we're just going with the flow and kind of instinctively following our own curiosity, what does that actually get us? And so before we get into the show itself, Mary, it might be useful for our listeners. Like I notice sometimes when I hear risk taking and rule breaking, I think of rock and roll and like high school rebels. How is what we're looking to talk about today different from that or even possibly related to that, but from a more empowered place? That's a good point, Christina. We're not encouraging anyone to break any societal rules. That is not this conversation. What we mean by this is we're looking at it as there are some things that are expected of us. There are some things that where we put expectations on ourselves, where we put these restrictions on ourselves because of how it's supposed to go, quote unquote. And this is really looking at, well, if you can live outside of that, if there was no expectations that you were having on yourself, how would that actually look like? What would life look like if we were just following our own natural curiosity? If outside of how it was supposed to go, we're actually embracing risks and saying, hey, how would it look like to live my life with full of joy or fun or curiosity or whatever it is? Yeah, exactly. And so I think where we absolutely must start in having this conversation is with our leading slime himself, uh, Rimuru, because the the thing that is immediately interesting to me in this paradigm that you just set up, Mary, of like, how could life go if you have no expectations for yourself? is that uh, Rimuru is reincarnated as a slime. In other words, he's reincarnated as a fairly lesser life form in this world. They don't have much of a consciousness. They don't have much magical ability. They're really just expected to live in caves and eat plants and go about their life. And so Rimuru in this new life has unlimited potential to go out and be and do whatever he wants. And in some ways, this already takes risks or breaks some of the rules of how isekais usually go. If you're not familiar with the genre, it always has this flavor of modern day person ends up transported, reincarnated, summoned, whatever you call it, into some sort of fantasy realm. And most other isekais, you see the protagonist do one of two things with this. It becomes their lifelong mission to figure out how to get back home, or it becomes their lifelong mission to figure out how to like you know, gain unlimited power and become the ruler of this world or save it in some capacity. And so immediately, instead, you get this sweet little amorphous blob who has no predetermined destiny set upon him, no rules or regulations to deal with, just the thought that he should go eat things because he's hungry. And I think that's a great way to set up the series because it goes like, That thought of, oh, well, what is it that I need or want to do right now is really the thought that propels most of uh, Rimuru's actions, which is not how most people go during the day. They, They tend to lean more on, well, what are my responsibilities and what am I supposed to be doing? And if my teacher caught me, what would she said I should be doing? If my dad caught me, what what would he think I should be doing? Whereas Rimuru really has control of his own destiny right now. Yeah, Christina, it's so interesting because. From what I remember, I don't even think he needs to eat. 
I think he's just bored and he's like, how can I entertain myself? And it's such a fun question because if we woke up thinking, hey, how can I entertain myself today? How can I have fun? How can I explore and try things? You know, what what would that actually get us? And what for Rimuru, what he gets is like he starts discovering that he has this like supercomputer embedded inside of him. And every time he quote unquote eats something, he actually is able to get the abilities of that thing. So whether it's a, a monster or a special rock or a potion or a plant, he can embody its abilities. And that gives him a lot more possibility to play with. So of course, he's like, I'm going to eat everything and I'm going to try all these different things. And that's how, you know, he meets Voldora, who's like trapped. Essentially, Voldora is trapped in this cave. And he's like, well, I need a friend and you're trapped. And this could be a win-win because if I swallow you, you could actually get out of here. The bad part is, you know, you'll be inside of me. The good part is you won't be in the cave anymore. Right. And as this happens, they form like this really strange friendship that works because it's a win for both. And in that process, he gains even more abilities and more power. Yeah. And I think, first of all, there's this really great moment where Vildora is actually the one to give Rimuru his new name. And in so many ways, I relate to this new naming process as a rebirth. And as we find later on in the series, and, and we could talk about this as we get to these points, uh, the, the convention of having a name is a, is a pretty important part of how power is distributed and people's worthiness and all sorts of things in this world. But, you know, re- regardless of what, with whether you're like, this sounds awesome or this sounds kooky, uh, Again, where you see the series kind of break the rules of a typical isekai is Rimuru leaves this cave with Valdora now inside him and his powers consumed. He's learned how to have senses, so to speak, by sensing magical energy. So he's not blind anymore. He can hear sounds. And in many isekais, this would be the point where he comes across his first battle and either gets his ass kicked or needs someone to save him. And instead, what you discover is that Rimuru is mad OP. Like, I'm talking ridiculous, like absurd. He has all these magical abilities because of all of the different animals and plants that he's consumed while just hanging out in this cave for three months. And you see how he oftentimes gets to take the easiest and swiftest option. He's not programmed to go for what's most dramatic or what will get him the most credibility he just goes for, well, you know, what, what's the thing that I desire in the situation right now and how can I make it happen? And there are several points in the series that Rimuru covers this, but I think one of my favorites to jump towards like the second third or even the late third of the season is at some point Rimuru's abilities even gain the attention of the various demon lords in this world. And one of them, Milim, who's the, you know, the tsundere type of, of this world, not even, she's the yandere type of this world, but I digress. This demon lord shows up and rather than trying to defeat her by killing her or being better than her or smarter than her or greater at magic than her, he quote unquote defeats her by feeding her honey. 
and realizing like, oh, this person's very childlike. She has a sweet tooth. Let me just give her this honey and that'll, you know, bring on the allure of not fighting us because then I'll have this thing that she wants. And so it sounds ridiculous. And for some people, it might even occur as anticlimactic because maybe they wanted a really cool boss battle. But it speaks again to the idea of taking your actions in a direction that are aligned with what you see to do versus what someone before you may have done. And as Rimuru builds out his village and eventually the country that he forms, you see all of the various characters around him constantly go, wow, really? That, that's not how I would do that. Are you sure you want to do it that way? And Rimuru just going, yep, I'm, I'm sure I want to do it this way. And it more often than not working out for him. I think something that's really cool about him, Christina, is that he doesn't go in for the fight. He's not about the battle. And it's so interesting because in a lot of these animes, you're either going to battle or you're going to try to fight your way home or something along those lines. And that's really not what he's after. He looks at a situation. He's like, oh, I really am not trying to fight anyone here. I guess I will if I have to, but I really don't want to. And what often happens time and time again is that because, because he's so powerful after consuming nearly almost everything, the fights are over pretty quickly. And what he ends up doing is like, instead of saying, you must bow down to me because I am superior, ha 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 ha, he says, let's be friends. Like, there's still so much I can learn from you. There's still so much you can learn from me and my tribe and we can work together. And that's how he is able to form like this, this alliance, this federation, a country of his own, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And so... You know, we've, we've hinted at how other characters in the series really respond to Rimuru's antics. And so now that we've really hashed out who he is and what he's about, I think the next direction to take it in is to talk about how you see that people's willingness to just trust Rimuru or go with his antics is very much in proportion to what they may have to lose if it doesn't work or what's the value that they see in trusting him. And so the very first place that you really notice this is as Rimuru is adventuring when he first leaves the cave, he saves this little goblin boy. And so the goblin, you know, takes him to his village and he finds this very poor beat up village where you know, all the goblins are kind of sick and they don't have a lot of resources and, and they're kind of sad looking little creatures. And so when Rumoru goes, hey, rather than being sad looking creatures, what if like we taught you all how to hunt better and we built some irrigation canals and we built some huts and we did this and we did that. And he just shows up with all these ideas and the goblins, you realize, think very little of themselves because they're like, oh, we're the weakest monsters in the forest. Like we don't have the capacity to go and do great or highly organized things. And rumor is like, why not? I, I didn't know goblins were weak. I, I just found you all and you seem like competent people. Why can't we do this? And so this is the first time immediately in the series that you see Rimuru trying to enroll a group of people into some of his rule breaking or risk taking, if it will. And I think part of why it works for the goblins immediately is because they're at the bottom of the food chain. For them, this is a low risk, high reward situation to trust this little slime who talks when 
they've never met a slime that can talk to people. And so sure enough, you see how they are rewarded with his allyship. He protects them from a dire wolf clan that comes to attack them. And he like their village ultimately becomes the hub for Rimuru to build out this entire nation of allies that he has created along the series. Yeah. And he also makes friends with the dire wolves in the process, which is cool. But I think another example of this and and that's what I think I admire. Uh, like I, I watched it, Christina, I was like, I thought it was going to go a certain way. And then it kind of defeated my expectations. And this was Gazelle. And he's like the king of the dwarf kingdom. And what was interesting is that everyone kind of looks at the slime and he, they're like, oh, it's a slime and it's easily defeated. But the king, but king Gazelle looked at him and says, this slime is surrounded by all these powerful allies who respect him. There must be something here. And this, instead of being swift to judge or act, he's like, I'm just going to sit back and observe. And that's something that I thought was really admirable for this king and something I respected because most others in the series just kind of quickly kind of uh, shoved him away, you know, shoved the slime away, thinking, oh, he's weak and he's an easy thing to get rid of. Yeah, and you know, something that I appreciate about Gozel's uh, willingness to see Rimuru as a, a powerful creature is in return, you see that uh, Gozel is not one for risk-taking. He rules a kingdom, he believes in order, even as his subjects start to prove that they are manipulative or unkind to each other, as what happens in a certain arc of this series, he's swift to deliver punishments and get people into order. And so when I think about how Rimuru is creating his life and building this federation, and when I think about how Gazel leads his kingdom, they're in direct opposition. One is completely by the book and the other is like, eh, we'll figure out when we get there. And I think it's, it's cool because again, you see the difference between how someone who already has power and has something to lose reacts to someone that throws caution to the wind versus say how the goblins responded to it. So I'm curious, Mary, like what are some of the other characters that you fell in love with or that you were really intrigued by the way that they end up in this story and their interactions with Rimuru? I mean, I think we need to talk about Shizu, Christina, because I mean, talk about a sad relationship story and also one that is extremely beautiful and powerful at the same time and Shizu is also came from the human world and she was transported there as a child she was summoned which means that she was able to gain these extraordinary abilities but it came at a cost to her and so inside of her was this like fire spirit that was extremely destructive and it cost Shizu a lot. It cost Shizu relationships. It cost her the ability to live life happily. It cost her her freedom. And what we see is that in this conversation of risk taking, she was very cautious because of this. She was very cautious with her actions. She was cautious with who she had surrounded around her until she meets like Slime. And here he is like super powerful and has all these people around him. And she's like, hey, what's going on here? And you can see the contradiction, the complexity of her emotions when she meets Slime, like finally, like someone who can help me, someone who can take me out of the situation, someone who's living it differently than I have. 
And I think she almost looks at slime as a way out, you know, as a way to um, escape her own life the way that it's gone and maybe create like a clean slate for her in many ways. Yeah. And so what we ultimately come to learn about Shizu is part of the consequence of her having this fire spirit inside of her. Part of the consequence of her being a summon in this world is that her life force dwindles down very quickly. And so while we don't get to see the love story that I think a lot of people anticipate when Shizu is introduced into the series, what we see instead is Shizu watching Rimuru's risk-taking and his way of just creating life on his own terms helps her find a way to create that for herself. And her wish to him on her deathbed is that he consume her body. And her thought of it is, hey, you know, the way that people get trapped in this world is they get summoned here and they get reincarnated here. And I'm actually ready to be at peace. And so I'm wondering, rather than burying me, if you can consume me, if you can collect my soul inside of you so that I can just be done and I don't have to fight anymore or worry about coming back here or worry about hurting any of my other friends. Yeah. Cue the, cue the, the, the crying tears emojis for those of you that don't, that can't see Mary and me on video while we're recording this. Um, but this is like, I think this is a really important point to highlight because I'm not saying that you should go follow risk takers in your life so that they can consume your body. So you don't become reincarnated. That's not a, that's not a tangible life lesson here, but What I would encourage you to do if you're listening to this episode is to notice for yourself, do you tend to be the risk taker or the rule breaker in your group of friends, in your community, wherever you are? And if you're not, what's your relationship to risk takers? Do you err on the side of Gazel and become incredibly skeptical of them and think of how to control them or be allies with them so that they don't get in their way? Or do you err on the side of Shizu? Do you become inspired by the people who are willing to take risks and think of your own life in new ways and what could be possible if you broke the mold? I don't have it that either of those relationships to risk-taking are right or wrong, but I think as a coaching conversation, it's a really useful place to take a look for yourself. So take a couple of minutes and do that. And now that you have, uh, as we start to wrap up the episode mayor any other characters we have to give a shout out to from this series there's so many delectable characters in this series i mean we didn't even talk about the ogres um the ogres are amazing and just like yeah there are so many characters it's such a fun show and i think christina and i could spend a whole other episode just talking about some of the other side characters so if we didn't talk about your favorite ones, if we didn't talk about some that are really special to you, let us know because we're happy to go back in and cover it again. Yeah. And similarly, if you're listening to this episode on the day that it comes out, which means it's on a Friday morning, uh, feel free to join us this evening, Eastern time, usually around 6 p.m. on our Coach Taku live on Instagram. We hype up over the episode and what we loved about it. And then we take some time to dive into the parts of the series that we didn't get to cover. So you're more than welcome to join us and bring any questions or comments that you have and join in on the fun. And additionally, as I mentioned, Crunchyroll is airing, you know, live casting season two of Slime as we speak. And so if you're upset that we only covered season one and you really want us to get into all the goodies that happen, you know, as Rimuru continues to collect more powerful allies as well as more powerful enemies, 
give us a shout and we'd be happy to cover season two as soon as that one wraps up as well. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Leave us comments, follow us on Instagram and until next time. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye-bye. You're subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Have an idea for an episode or show you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Takupod, C-O-H-C-H-T-A-C-U-P-O-D, or email us at coachtakupod at gmail.com. Love your wonderful host? In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at Roar on Instagram, and you can follow Mary at Mary, M-E-R-Y, dot, the nerdy coach. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.